You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Mindful Psychology Podcast. My name is Jen, I am your host, and today I am joined by the wonderful Amanda Ashley Boyd. Amanda is a clinical nutritionist, a yoga teacher, and a mindfulness teacher, and is just really knowledgeable about how to combine nutrition with mindfulness and yoga, and her story is so interesting as well. She shares so much professionally and personally, and this episode is jam-packed with all kinds of really good stuff. We talk about uh, unconscious parenting and conscious uncoupling and how to co-parent mindfully, how to teach children and give tips to parents about how to be mindful, uh, be it in their diets and their lifestyle habits, but also in the way that we teach them about race and inclusivity and diversity and gender and same-sex couples and families and all of that st- and different families and all of that stuff. And so we talk about a variety of different things about mindfulness and consciously Uh, going about life and responding rather than reacting. Amanda also at the end will be sharing some insight and some advice about how to navigate this pandemic right now with our children if we have any and also as individuals and how to come at everything from a different angle. So it's really a great episode. I know that you'll enjoy it and you'll enjoy Amanda. So without further ado, here's Amanda. Hi Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. Same, same. So where are you joining us from today? I am in London, England, and, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit gray and cloudy, but for the most part, we've been having weather probably similar to Croatia. So (laughs) it was, well, it was during COVID, like at the very beginning when we were there for a few months, it was really nice, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the universe handing us this gift by saying you, you can only step outside into your garden, so I'm going to give you sunlight. But um, yeah, it's, it's, we've been truly blessed with nature and, and the abundance of nature that we've, we've had here in London. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I know people don't often believe that because they just think it's ugly all the time, but it isn't, right? Like you're my fellow... Well, I mean, I wouldn't maybe not fellow now because I'm not there anymore, but I was just a couple months ago. It was, the weather is not always that bad. I feel like this past year was actually okay. It was actually quite nice. Yeah, it's, it's shifted. It has shifted quite a bit from when I moved here in 2014, in 20, sorry, 2004. Um, I've, I've noticed each year it's, it's slowly sort of gotten um, warmer and less cloudy and gray and rainy. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> That's good. And uh, okay, so um, why don't we just start by talking about you and what and what you do, how you got to the work that you do, why you enjoy it, and all of that fun stuff. Yeah. So um, I am. I'm, I'm a clinical nutritionist and a mindfulness teacher and a yoga instructor for children and families. And um, I retrained. Um, I did a career change when I was in my early 30s. And I I stepped away from television and media and I went into um, 
nutrition. And I've been practicing that for over a decade now. And while I was working with children and family, families as a nutritionist, I sort of, you know, we, we work to modify behavior patterns using um, diet and lifestyle. And I just sort of felt like there's so much you can do with diet and lifestyle. Um, but it, there's a lot of pressure on the parents to, to get this done. And the results really rely on compliance, whether the child complies, whether the parents comply. And I just felt like there was so much more we can do. So I thought I, I really want to bring in um, a, more, a more emotionally regulating practice. So mindfulness where we work with our thoughts and feelings and yoga where we, we learn how to connect our mind and body. So um, I've been doing that now for about two years, combining all three. And um, I also teach um, social emotional well-being in the school system. And I work as a consultant supporting schools to develop their well-being curriculum because as of the 2020 academic year, it's now compulsory that all schools have some sort of well-being um, program in place. Wow. And, um, and then I also have another business called Loca Lab, which I run with my life partner, Rachel. Um, and we work together empowering busy modern moms to find connection, purpose, self-worth, and calm. Because, you know, you want, when you work with the children, you want to hopefully make sure that they're going home to their families where this dynamic can support the work that we do at school. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. That's a sort of beautiful transformation from, from you know, and such a, a logical one. You made it sound so smooth and, and logical, <laughs> but like natural, the way you went from one to the other. And so what have you found is, what, what differences have you noticed uh, in your career as, an, as a clinical nutritionist and now as you've shifted more toward mindfulness teaching and uh, focusing on well-being in that respect? What have you noticed uh, is different in those two fields? Are they very separate? Are they... Um, sorry, one sec. So, um, yeah, so that's a great question because I find, you know, with children, they respond so easily to the work that I do with them in mindfulness and, and yoga. Um, it's sort of like, um, they, they see it, they, they find it curious, they pay attention and they bring it into their lives really easily. Whereas when you're dealing with food, there are so many picky eaters out there. There's so many fussy eaters out there. It's, it's such a sensory thing, food, you know, um, children, it, it's a bit more difficult to get them to challenge themselves, to be adventurous and try new things. So when you bring the, those together, mindfulness, yoga, and nutrition, the simple practice of mindfulness will help children to be a bit more curious about food and, and over time to maybe understand that, um, that they can give it a try and, and it, it won't be the most awful thing in the world. You know, eating, yeah. eating a spinach leaf won't be the most disgusting thing in the world because they have this um, mindfulness practice, which in itself teaches you how to be curious about life and, and engage with your five senses, you know? 
Mm, that's incredible. How, I'm curious, how would you, uh, what kind of example can you give me right now or give us of, um, of a mindfulness practice that you can effectively teach uh, a child that would help them with uh, understanding their five senses as it pertains to eating something that wouldn't, they wouldn't ordinarily like? Yeah, the, one of the practices that we do is actually called the mindful mouthful. And what this does is it, it works with our five senses. And ultimately what we're doing is we are shifting our perception of something, you know? So oftentimes we get locked in how we perceive things, locked in how we judge things. And, and working with the mindful mouthful allows us to just investigate something that we're quite familiar with. So let's take a raisin, for example, mm-hmm. and, bringing curiosity to it. So when we do the mindful mouthful, we hold the raisin. You can use anything really. I've, I've done it with an ice lolly, strawberries, an orange, whatever. Um, but you hold the raisin and you engage with your five senses. So first you look at it and you just notice all of the wrinkles. You notice the colors, the different colors. You notice um, if you hold it up to the light, some some parts you can kind of see through and some are a bit darker and you can't see through them. You notice the texture, is it hard, is it soft? What's the temperature? You smell it, um, can't hear it unless you're chewing and then you can hear, but um, you, you put it in your mouth and before chewing it, you, you notice what happens with your, your mouth. So you start to, your mouth starts to water a little bit because you're anticipating the next step. And then you slowly start to chew it and you notice over time the sweetness that comes out from one bite from one bite to the next to the next. And so maybe using this mindful mouthful as a practice to um, get, get children curious about a, a new food or something that they think is disgusting um, could make it playful and fun. And, and, you know, it, it, could, it could take up to 10 times for children trying a new food for them to actually um, respond positively to it. So again, you know, it's an investment. You've got to sort of show up with calmness and with playfulness and, um, and hold space for them to experience it in their own ways. Wow. That's really interesting. I love that so much. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not a parent, I don't have children, but I can imagine that I would love to do that with my kids. Um, have you noticed any, any, any patterns in terms of uh, parents who start this early on in their children's lives and parents who start this later on, or anything that kind of stays the same regardless of the age? Um, is it the behavior of the parents that's different? What, do you, what have you noticed? Yeah, I think that when, you know, what, the, the best thing that as parents, the best thing that we can do for our children is first of all, work on ourselves. So we, if we can learn to understand our thoughts and feelings and develop emotional resilience, then our children will mirror us, right? So Dr. Dan Siegel, he actually says um, that um, children, as children develop their brains, mirror their parents' brains, right? So what this means is the most important thing parents can do for themselves is to become aware of their thoughts and feelings. Um, and, and then children will learn to self-regulate by watching their parents self-regulate. Children will learn to um, 
approach challenges in life, how their parents approach challenges in life. And, and so when, when parents adopt a practice of mindfulness or um, meditation or yoga, then they are able to kind of come into the present moment a bit more, bring that pause into their lives so they can respond with more meaning rather than react you know, where, where we aren't thinking, we're just reacting. Mm -hmm. So it definitely will help children regulate and understand their emotions and, and develop that emotional intelligence if parents are, are practicing it. Um, but also parents can learn from their children. So if children come home from school and they say, oh, we, we did mindfulness today and we learned how to do this, um, parents can bring that curiosity to the moment and engage with their child and ask them to demonstrate what they learned and take it on board and start practicing together as a family. Oh yeah, that's, that's good. Um, would you, when, in terms of the clients that you've worked with, the patients that you've worked with, have you found that you normally, like how do you implement this if you're dealing with a new family, right? And you've just met them, would you start with the parents? Do you do it at the same time? Uh, what do you normally, what's your approach? Oftentimes I work with the children privately, um, depending on what the child is um, presenting with. Um, I'll work with the child and then sort of give tips to the parents as we go along. Um, parents, you know, parents are so busy. They will do anything for their child, but um, to, to sort of turn that, that investment and that commitment and that self-care onto themselves is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. So um, I work with the children primarily and then hope, hopefully parents absorb what the child is learning um, mm -hmm. through the children. Yeah. Um, and what happens if, what, what happens if the, the child is really keen to do it and they're doing well, let's say, right? They're doing their homework and they're doing the things and their parents are not adapting or the parents are not finding that they can follow through with the tips that you've given them. What, what, what tends to happen after that? How do you address that kind of thing? Um, you, you know, I haven't actually come across that um, in my practice as of yet. Um, I think there are a few children who I work with at school that might not have a situation at home where there is any sort of emotional literacy. Um, but the, the children, when they're at school, I've seen in, in a simple, as short of 12, you know, one hour um, meetings with the children, I've seen incredible change and, and incredible changes in behavior. Um, so, I think that when, when you get the kids young, you're planting those seeds. And when they're in the school environment, you've got teachers who are watering those seeds and, 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 and it just creates a really lush environment for them to grow. So um, I, I do think that children have the capacity to take on board the information, take on board the practice, even if they aren't being fully supported in the home life, but obviously that additional support would um, be incredible for the entire family. And, and then that family dynamic then spreads out into the community and then that spreads out into the world. 
you know? Absolutely. And so just, just like those small changes can actually have global impact. It's the ripple effect. Of course. I a hundred percent wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that we're so, we're capable of such change as a collective. If we only just, you know, knew that and really were mindful of the actions that we took, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, but with that in mind, though, I'm just thinking about parents and, and what that would actually mean. You know, parents try so hard, right, to raise their kids and do things uh, the best way that they can. So how are there ways that the parents could, you know, not be so attached to the outcome of what happens when they're raising their children and actually surrender that a little bit and, and co-create, uh, as you call it, with their children? Mm, that's such a good word, co-create, because that is what we're doing, isn't it? Um, so we're not, we're not here to like control our child or have them live the lives that we thought in our mind that they should live. Um, yeah, we're here to consciously co-create with our children. And, um, there's a beautiful, um, passage from the prophet, um, by Khalil Gibran, um, that, that talks about this. It's called on, on children. And, you know, it's sort of about how our children are not, they don't belong to us. They belong to themselves and they belong to the world. And, um, and I think that when, when parents just have that slight shift in perspective, that slight shift in mindset and see them as their own unique individual, then we might be able to interrupt those patterns, those thought patterns that we have because of how we were um, raised as children, right? So it all goes back to our childhood. Um, and, then, and then they can start making choices, maybe different choices to support their child, to be the unique individual that their child needs to be and not the one that um, we think they need to be, whether that comes from how we were raised, the media, comparison, trying to fit in, like whatever those external ideas are, um, it all comes from within the child, first and foremost, I think. Yeah, yeah, I believe that as well. And um, I've done a lot of research on understanding cycles and why they're repeated and how we can break cycles by understanding our childhood and understanding our parents and then trying to do the right by our children, doing right by our children, right? Um, so mm. what could be a consideration or even like a mindfulness practice for parents to uh, have that shift in perspective that you've mentioned in order to uh, approach raising their children differently or maybe breaking the cycles from their childhood? I think the most powerful thing that parents can do is to bring the, the pause into their life, that sacred pause, which allows us when we're activated or, or triggered by our child or by our partner or by our own thoughts and feelings, it allows us to pause and, and it just gives us that moment to refocus our attention so we can respond with more meaning rather than react. And um, when, when you bring that pause in, it gives you an opportunity to see your child differently and to maybe allow your child to lead. And that alone interrupts those thought patterns. It breaks those patterns. It breaks those cycles. Mm-hmm. And you do that over and over and over again. And you, you know, you end up living a completely different 
experience to maybe how you grew up or to how you thought you would be living your life. Um, so you pause, you come into the present moment, maybe come to your breath and just do three breaths to help refocus your attention. And then you're using the part of your brain that can help you think rationally mm -hmm. and make choices. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's really powerful. I like that a lot. I definitely would hope that I can do, I could do that as a parent, you know, like I'm sure it's not easy, you know, it's so hard. Right. Well, so hard. sometimes well, like sometimes so I'm, I'm with my girls and they, they, they're having their experience and they're reacting and they're doing their thing, whatever it is. And I mean, sometimes I have to pause like 20 times in, in, <laughs> in five or 10 minutes, you have to keep coming back to the pause once isn't enough. Right. Because Sure. Oh man, they can really push your buttons, those kids. <laughs> um, but you just have to remind yourself to keep coming back to that pause. And sometimes you will react and that's okay. But then you can come back to the pause so you can respond. It's all a work in progress. It's, oh, it's sure. all a moment to moment um, experience that, that, we're, that we're living, you know, and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. And when we get it wrong, we learn from that and then we can integrate it and try again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And it's true. It's good to know that we can mess up sometimes, but it means that we're aware and that we're going to try harder and be better next time. And it's good. It's good. I think sometimes even mm. messing up is part of the, is just as important as doing it right, you know? So, mm. so keeps us keeps us on our toes <laughs> yeah for sure i mess up all the time <laughs> <laughs> um and in line with this you talk about conscious parenting and conscious uncoupling and co-parenting so can you talk to us a little bit more about those concepts yeah so you know when you have children you never imagine that your life is going to go in a different direction and you're going to end up living with um in two homes right that's not the intention when you first have children but oftentimes th that's the case and that's okay like you might meet someone and, and they might be perfect for you in the time that you met them and then 10 years later you have children and 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 if you don't have a really strong foundation those children can really shine a light on all of the cracks in your relationship and some couples might be able to work through all of all of the difficulty and um, change that children bring into their lives. Some couples can't. And if you if you can't, right? If it's too hard and you're creating more of um, an environment that the children you don't necessarily think children should grow up in, then it's okay to dissolve a relationship right? And you can do that consciously, like you can do it with love and grace and respect. Um, I know that it's hard because if, if there's betrayal involved or, you know, if, if there's addiction or if there's dependency or, or codependency, whatever, it, it can be really hard to figure out how to walk down this path of, this path of conscious uncoupling when you're hurt. Um, but if, if parents can make the choice to feel their pain, feel their hurt, but sort of deal with that, but put it aside a little bit so they can make the choices for 
the family unit to continue as a family unit, even though you're in two homes for the benefit of the children. And then once that's all sorted out, you can sort of deal with your pain and deal with your hurt. Then um, I think that that's a really, a really brave choice to make a really courageous path to walk. Um, Because if we stay stuck in a relationship where we're not happy, Again, we talked about this earlier, right? Children mirror what they see. They will reflect back to us what we are putting out there. So if, if they see stress and um, frustration and resentment and unhappiness, they'll pick up on that. And whether they show that back to you um, presently or five or 10 years from now, it doesn't matter because it's in there, right? So, you know, we can make a choice and um, we can walk down that path of consciously uncoupling, um, which means doing it with love and grace and um, all for the benefit of the children. And, you know, just, just because you're in two homes, it doesn't mean that you can't still be one family. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I've seen um, different situations and I have a brother who I think handled it quite well and they did the same thing and they co-parented and definitely was best to be apart and um uh and it was not like the what you would think a divorce had to be right it was so different it was done kind of more calmly and definitely i think life got better for everybody after that right like for the whole family after yeah for sure and and you know i love co-parenting with um my girl's dad i love it whereas when we were together it was the one of the worst things in my life. I, 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 it was so hard, but now, um, you know, the girls, they, they might be at their dad's and, and he'll message me and he'll say, you know, this happened. And, um, I, I sort of handled it this way. And, and do you have any ideas? And, and we'll kind of text back and forth. And we, sh- you know, even just last night, he, um, we, he FaceTimed, he, um, me because that they were having a a little chat about something and and my eldest she's seven she wanted my input and we have that relationship where we can still be a family we can still parent together even though we have two homes and um i just feel i feel so grateful that i have a i have a partner i had had this man who was willing to go on this journey with me you know Mm -hmm. um because both people have to be willing and and show up with um the idea of doing something different because we are told right that the narrative out there is that two unhappy parents together is better than two happy parents apart and we just we have to smash through that we have to that's not the truth i can't imagine you know i think it also comes from that idea that you have to have a mom and you have to have a dad and you know, all of that. And I mean, we have to break through that concept as well, right? You know, there are so many toxic dynamics out there, but they have a dad and a mom. doesn't help anybody yeah. get served in that relationship. Like, you know, there are plenty of things happening there. So I think breaking through that in general, uh, for many reasons, which we can talk more about um, my next question, because I have it in my head, <laughs> but breaking through mm-hmm. that idea of the traditional family as well um, is important because that's also what leads to people pushing things like sweeping things sweeping things under the rug that are not okay in a family just to mm-hmm. feel like everything's okay um mm-hmm. rather than just unpacking things and saying look this happened that happened it was dysfunctional like now what do we do you know i think that would be way more productive for everybody way more um beneficial to everyone 
And I think that when you can be honest with yourself, I mean, there has to be a level of honesty there. And obviously, like you said, two people willing, um, then that can, I mean, if you're happier now and everyone's happier now, like that speaks for itself. I mean, there should be no questioning of it after that, right? But unfortunately there still is, um, which is weird because there are some other dysfunctional uh, relationships that nobody questions, right? So that's- Yeah, exactly. That's really strange to me, but- um, but with that in, in, with in line, in, sorry, in line with that, were, were your children uh, like old enough when this was happening? Were, were there conversations that you had with them that maybe some parents listening in right now or anybody listening in right now could, could use with their children if they're thinking or if they're going through this thing, the same, the same thing right now? Yeah, we did it very slowly. Um, so we, 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 I, I knew, um, and, and, um, you know, my ex, Darren, he, he knew as well, but I think that, um, it's sometimes it's, it's harder to admit because of the fear. Mm -hmm. So I had the realization first off and we talked through it and it took, you know, quite a few months for us to sort of fully jump in and say, okay, this is, this is the right thing to do. And it was hard and it was scary and there were a lot of challenges and it was messy, but we kept showing up and we kept trying to show up with love and grace. And with the girls, um, when it all sort of started happening, I think they were five and four or maybe four and three, I can't, I can't remember. And initially it was the two separate rooms. Um, so they got familiar with mom and dad sleeping in two separate rooms. And then we, we sort of started to do solo parenting. Um, so we were still in the same house, but I would sort of go for a night or two or a weekend and he would solo parent and then he would go for a night or two a weekend and, and I would solo parent. So they would get used to this idea of um, being with one parent. And also for dads, I think it's so important that they have this opportunity to do it on their own with the kids, create that bond, develop their confidence and figure out how it all works. Cause oftentimes it's mom who carries the full domestic mental load and, and does everything. So me stepping back and giving him the opportunity to do that then created this like element of safety for them when they were with him and we weren't in, in that house together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would, they would sort of ask questions and, and we would answer it. Um, appropriately for their age and we got some books you know there's there's some really great books out there that are that are great for young children and it talks about how when I'm at mom's house I do this and when I'm at dad's house I do this and just developing those mindfulness practices that are age appropriate as well Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know again it comes back to reflecting to your children like being that mirror and if you show up knowing that you're doing the right thing and you're living your truth and you're confident and you're creating a loving, safe environment for them, that's all they need. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they had questions and they had their own experiences and they were confused, but we continued to show up knowing that it was the right thing. And, and that way we were able to kind of be the mirror for them. Yeah. I love that, that you did that. I don't know. I haven't heard a story like this before and I really like this one. <laughs> I think- oh, thank you. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. It was hard. It took a lot of work. 
Um, I, I was, I was in therapy. I was having counseling, you know, at a beautiful, um, psychologist and spiritual mentor who I was working with. And, um, I think that was a huge, um, help for me. And we can't do it alone. You know, you've got to read the books, the right books. You've, you've got to talk to the right people and continue to do the inner work to know that your truth is the right way to move forward. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what anyone else says, right? It's, it's what your truth is. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and, and this makes me want to ask the, the question that I've been holding on to because, um, yeah, it's pr- moving f- perfectly into this. When you talked about, so we talked first about the nutrition and how mindfulness practices can help children be, uh, respond rather than react. And for example, observing the raisin and rather than seeing it with their initial judgment of, ew, I don't want to eat a raisin or ew, I don't want to eat spinach, maybe saying, well, let's just observe this thing now. And then all, all of a sudden the relationship to the thing changes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. With Now, if we shift it to, okay, then we talked about this and your, your relationship with, with your ex-husband. What about other things that we need to teach children like inclusivity and race and, um, gender and same-sex relationships and all of that stuff can we employ the same type of mindfulness practices with them is there a way that we can uh practice yeah practice this same thing with regards to those topics yeah we can and you know i do a lot of work with like year four five and six around inclusivity and diversity and equality um and First off, I think it's really important that they understand that what they see, um, that that initial judgment isn't right or wrong. Okay, so um, when it comes to opinions, no opinion is necessarily right or wrong. It's just your truth, um, and and that's okay if it's your truth and it's not it's not hurting anyone. But when it's your truth and it starts to hurt others, then we, we might need to reevaluate that. So I do exercises with, um, with children. Like for example, I'll give a list of, of, of things like, um, well, age appropriate for, for kids. It's like, okay, do you prefer roadblocks or Minecraft? Do you prefer gymnastics or football? And they all write their answers down this list of like 10 questions. And then I collect them. And I read them all out and not never is there two pieces of paper that have the exact same answers on them, which just shows how we all see and interpret this world differently and no one's right and no one's wrong. And so bringing that awareness to them that just because um, you think it for yourself and believe it to be true for yourself, it's not necessarily true for someone else and we can be respectful and open to allowing people to have their own perspective because that's that's the beautiful thing about this world is that it's there's multiple perspectives and our thoughts and feelings they change Mm -hmm. so what we think today might be different tomorrow so to hold on to something so tightly and 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 use it to identify yourself when it could change, um, might not be uh, a very useful way to use your energy, you know? So I kind of use exercises like that and many different other ones to help children understand 
uh, about inclusivity, diversity, and equality. And, you know, we talk about the Equality Act and we talk about how families look different. Some families might have one parent, some families might have two parents and their Nana might live with them. Some parent families might have um, two moms, some might have two dads and all of that is fine and beautiful and perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I, I don't believe that children are born with this thought, you know, when does the seed get planted? You know, if children mirror behaviors, is there something like a micro behavior we have in, in the face of this thing? Or is it something that parents say that make children develop this sort of judgment? Or is it, you know, because they're not, no one's born with hate in their hearts. No one's born really making a big distinction between the people that they see at the beginning, right? Um, yeah. Or are they, you know, I don't even think we know that for sure, right? <laughs> but um, what happens and how, how do you navigate that? If there's a, a child that you work with or that you see who's in, a, in, a, in an environment at home where there is a lot of judgment and a lot of discrimination and a lot of, uh, you know, intolerance, how, how does a child like that, how can a child like that not develop that uh, in their own lives? You know, all, all we can do is plant seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, we just plant the seed and we hope that if we don't see change happen next week or the next week or the next month, maybe that change will happen in five or 10 years from now. As, as long as they have the information in there, like in their subconscious, then it can be nurtured. and that's my intention. I just, my intention is to just show up and inspire kids to know that there's a different way and then release all attachment to what the outcome is because um, there's a lot that we are dealing with in, in this world and people are so polarized and, and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of hate and judgment and, um, and that's okay. You know, we're, we're hopefully learning and becoming more aware of all of this polarization and and how it doesn't make anyone feel very good and hopefully trying to make changes um but that's that's my intention is to just plant that seed that there's a different way and hopefully that will get nourished and um, nurtured and and grow yeah I agree. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> and, and I guess my last question would be, or maybe one of my last questions would be to, in terms of COVID right now, and in terms of, you know, the months that have passed and everything that's going on with children and parents for everybody really. Uh, and now this whole back to school thing, that time of year, what are some things that people can keep in mind now uh, as we transition uh, with this whole back to school thing? Hmm. Mm. That's a, such a, a good question. I think one of the most important things to keep in mind for our children is, is that, you know, um, they will mirror us. So if we become aware of our thoughts and feelings, if we notice that we're in a fear state or we're catastrophizing just to know that, you know, we can't predict the future. So if we're looking towards the future and we're creating worst case scenario, we owe it to ourselves to also look towards the future and create best case scenario because we don't, neither is true. It's the future. We don't know what's going to happen. So, um, and also the, the messaging 
that we send to our children is so important, which is they, um, our children, they're healthy, they're strong, and they don't need to fear the virus, right? Um, we are healthy and strong. We don't need to fear the virus. And if, if they're in a situation where they have to wear masks, just remind them they are wearing masks to protect others. They're not wearing masks to protect themselves because they're healthy and strong. And, um, and that it, it's, it's, it's all actually what's happening right here in this moment. And right here in this moment, there is a lot of good going on as well. So maybe just start practicing, noticing the good, even if that's just looking out your window and watching um, a tree blow in the wind, the beauty of nature, the magic of nature. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of beauty um, going on. So I think parents um, passing that message down to children is so important so our children don't learn to fear others, you know, because we're gonna be out of this and we're gonna be back to where um, everyone is socializing and engaging and the community is strong. And we want our children to know that, that once that happens, they can hug everyone, they can engage with everyone. And we are all human and we are all here to interact and live this life together. Yeah, that's so true. It's so true to come at it from a different angle, isn't it? And be prepared for what's going to happen when we're not in survival mode anymore, when we're not, when we're not, when we're not under a panic. You know, it's, um, it's interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And just in general, like coming at it from a different angle, even not just for you and your kids, but even if you're an individual, like just as in, you know, if, and you're only thinking of yourself in that moment or whatever, even just to remind yourself that right now in this moment, you're okay and you're taking the necessary precautions and you're doing your thing. And we're, you know, it's not like it's, you know, just being, being realistic with yourself and, and focusing on this moment and on, uh, on the fact that, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of positive here. There's also a lot that we have control over, right. in the way that we interact under this whole pandemic and uh, hmm. focusing on that. Too. Yeah. And I think understanding that the, the, the widespread narrative that's being handed down to us is one of fear and so if we can just step away from that messaging that's being handed down to us from our, you know, mainstream sources and, and just come into um, our own intuition and our own inner knowing and know that we, you know, we, we tend to create the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. but let's just, let's just try to create the best case scenario alongside that. And that might feel better and that might help you get through um, with a more rational mind and, and a better understanding of what you can do for yourself and your children. Agreed, agreed. I think, and then we, our bodies also start to react as if the bad thing's happening, right? Like our body cannot decide, cannot discern between fact or fiction, right? Like if you've, if you've panicked it. Yeah, if you're thinking it, you're living it. That's it. Your body's just like, oh, threat, like, and it starts to freak out, right? Like, so the thoughts is yeah. the reality of it, right? Almost. Uh, in terms of like adrenaline and in terms of instant flight or fight mode, your body's not like, oh, she's just thinking that. Like, no, no, <laughs> your body's going to freak out a little bit. So I think it's important to also be mindful of that and to know that you can also calm your body down and actually be excited about something that hasn't happened yet. It's the same way you can make yourself scared for something that's not going to happen, right? 
Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I think it's just easier to attach to the, what's bad because then we feel like we have control over our biggest fear. Um, and it's just, it seems more productive than focusing on the good. Uh, I think that's also just the way we're wired sometimes, but um, yeah, it, we it, literally both are equally as powerful, equally mm -hmm. as untrue. <laughs> and equally yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So if we, were, if we remember that, we can know that neither one is more true. Neither one is actually more, uh, is you being more productive and both are just thoughts. And yeah. And your body. Yeah. So why not go with the thought that feels a little bit better? Exactly. Your body's going to be like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you'll actually, yeah. start, you'll actually start, um, well, feeling it. It's like when you, you get a little bit happier when you smile, like that's real, you know? So yeah. it's like that. And, and it's not always easy. I do the same. I'm like, you know, every time I hear about it or when I was in London, I was like, oh my God, it's everybody. It's everywhere. Like, <laughs> I was like freaking out, you know? Then I told myself that it's just, and every time I had a tickle in my throat, or I was a little bit tired. I was like, oh my God, this is it. You know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. time has passed since then. But at the very beginning, I was very stressed and I realized it was all just thought. It's like thinking someone's going to break into your home. It's like a thought. It hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. Or like you can take the necessary precautions. You know what I mean? Like it's not real. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. A, it becomes like a phobia. So. And, and, you know, anxiety, it needs action. So if, if we take action to make ourselves as healthy and strong as possible and build um, a, a really strong immune system and get out in nature and um, turn the TV off and sleep, you know, get good quality sleep, then if, if it does come our way, which it will, you know, remembering that the vast majority of people will be totally fine that's a much better way to walk through our day than, mm -hmm. than to, to hold on to that neuroses, which is part of, you know, the, the fear messaging that we're getting from the media, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we can step back from all of that and remember we're healthy and strong. We can make choices to um, create a robust immune system. And, um, and that, that's really a, a great action to take for yourself and for your family. I agree. I agree. I think that's a, a brilliant note and a nice positive take on the whole thing. <laughs> I think that's great. Thank you for that. Um, I guess now all I would have to ask, so I, I, I knew it was not going to be my last question when I said that before, but <laughs> so, <laughs> so if people want to find you, Amanda, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I am. I'm on it. I'm on all of the social channels, right? So I'm on um, Instagram, which is Amanda underscore Ashy, A-S-H-Y. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I have uh, mindful moments from for children videos up there. And I also have a couple of videos talking about um, divorce and talking about mindfulness for adults. So that's just under my name, Amanda Ashy. My website is um, Amanda Ashy Boyd. I haven't changed that yet, but Amanda Ashy Boyd Dot com and then my um, my life partner Rachel and I we um, we have a business called Loka Lab so L O K A H underscore Lab and um, what we do is we empower busy modern moms to find um, connection purpose calm and inspiration so we um, we have a lot of online workshops and we are empowerment coaches so they can find me through all of those avenues. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So I'll put all those links in the show notes and, uh, and share all of that when I, when the episode comes out. And cool. I just wanted to thank you so much for being here today and for offering all your insight. That was wonderful. It was so fun to chat to you. 
Uh, I love chatting with you as well. It was such a good conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. All right. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Amanda. I sure loved chatting to her. It was really, really fun to have her on the show. Everything you need to know about where to find Amanda is in my show notes. And I really hope you enjoyed this. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. Until next time, namaste.